Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, this Lord's Day in the magnificent, bright, and beautiful name of Jesus. Jesus. He is worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen. He is risen. risen Today we gather on this Lord's Day, this first day of the week, to remember that God is making all things new. He's doing a wonderful work in you, and He's not only doing a work in you, but He's doing a work through you. God lets us be a part of what He does. Amen? Amen. It's a wonderful thing. And we, of course, need a Savior, but so do a whole lot of other people out there. You guys ever meet anyone out there you think that might need Jesus? Well, you know, we could pray that someone else would talk to them. We could pray that someone else will tell them the good news, or we could do it ourselves. God allows us to be a part of this. I I say this a lot, but I'll say it again. You know, my grandfather used to tell me when when he would golf that none of the balls that he didn't hit ever made it in the hole. Okay? If you don't try to reach the lost, if you do not go to them and, and share God's word, I can guarantee you, you probably will never be a part of watching someone come from darkness into light. You might say, if I talk to them, uh, they're not going to listen. Well, I can tell you right now, if you don't talk to them, they're definitely not going to listen. Okay? So that is a guarantee. And Jesus sent us out to do what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He wants us to teach people everything that he has commanded us to do. That is the commission, the great job or vocation of the believer. And I really, really uh, know that when we don't do this, we miss out on a whole lot of wonderful. And God can and will save people. And he does this, but he will do it through you. And if you can get this understanding, you'll be going around looking for people. You'll be going around speaking God's word. Can you say amen? So today God has called his people into the presence of his worship, a people who were not a people, but are now the people of God. Now David knew of all men how dark the night of his sinful flesh and how desperately he needed the resurrecting power of God, as does everyone. He sang about it in Psalm 
14, and he hoped against hope that salvation himself was coming for him and through him. Psalm 14 says this, as we hear the word of the Lord from our call to worship. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. How many? The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and any that would seek God. But they are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread or call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear for God is in the generation of the righteous. You have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. The Bible says that when a sinner repents of his sin, that the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And our response to that love should be to love others. And there's nothing more loving we could do than to bring the gospel, the good news, the news that so many of them are longing to hear to them. Lord, that would be the primary way to love our neighbors. Lord, we come before you knowing we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have been thinking of ourselves a lot and not of others. We pray today that you would cleanse us from this, that through the speaking of your word, that faith would come in us and that we would be more like you would have us to be, that you would make us preachers of this gospel, that you would make us martyrs if need be for the sake of doing this work that you've given us to do and that we would find joy in doing it. And we ask in all of the, all, we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. I mean, everything, even the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels where the stench of sulfur burns, where the worm dieth not and souls cry out for deliverance and there is none. Everything magnifies the glorious name of God. Even that. It may be impossible for us to comprehend this, but this is so. Hell is not... Some place, the lake of fire is not some place that God does not know about, that somehow it stains his reputation or it's evidence of his failure. It absolutely is not that. You may not want a painting of Dante's Inferno on your wall or something like that, but at the same time, still yet, it gives glory to God because, in fact, all things must. Give glory to God, even things that for us we might not even be able to look at. The God who made the lake of fire, which 
has expanded itself, did not go dark when He spoke its hellish halls into existence because there is no darkness in God at all. Understood rightly, the full ramifications of this doctrine can be a great gift of God from our Father of lights in whom there is no variable, neither shadow of turning, as it says in James 1.17. Now you might have already noticed this. You might think it was a mistake. You know, wasn't our call to worship? Didn't it sound a lot like our text? Well, that wasn't a mistake. In fact, Psalm 14 is virtually identical to Psalm 53. And we've already done Psalm 14, so we're going to do it. Everybody say, again. That's why my sermon today is called Depravity, Deliverance, and Glory. Again. Because we're here again. Now, the plain doctrine being taught to us here is... Not only quoted here twice, but it is, uh, as we got in our readings from Romans chapter 3, it is extensively quoted by Paul. So apparently we need to hear it even again. Some things we need to hear again and again and again. And you know why? Because we don't like them or we don't want to do them or maybe we just can't quite remember them. Now, I have a particular gift. Some of you may know about this gift. It doesn't work out good in some respects, but in other, it does. Do you know if you do me really, really wrong, I'm liable to forget it? In fact, it's sort of a mechanism, apparently, I have, uh, by God's grace, been given so that I can sort of deal with things. So if Steve Foisey does me wrong 14 ways from Sunday, generally speaking, I will... But I do have family members who are faithful to help me remember. (laughs) Don't you remember what the man did to you before? And I'd be like, no, I, I, I oh, he, uh, yeah, okay, all right. So, so this is, this is, the, this is just the way it is. But, but, so I forget. Now, sometimes I think we forget things that we find unpleasant. We, we don't want to remember it. You know, we don't want to remember that hurt that we went through, that difficulty. We forget it. And I think that total depravity and the very idea of it is something we really don't like to think about, and so we forget it, and so we need to hear about it again. So this truth has been summarized well, and I've already said it, by the name of total depravity. Now, it's a good name. It's easy to remember. You know, in fact, it's very, very strong. It's like total depravity. You know, whatever that is. Now, but it's really not a very bright one. You know, the last time I talked about this... uh, I said the, um, the, the, I was reminding us that the T in the doctrine that we call TULIP, which is the doctrines of grace, stands for total depravity. Uh, you might remember the other ones. I'll rattle through them real quick because we did this at our dinner table last night. And can anyone help me with this? So T is total depravity. U is unconditional election. L is limited atonement. I is irresistible grace and P is what? The perseverance or the preservation of the saints. All right. Um, But now, as I've said before, it's not something you're likely to see written though in bright yellow uh, on a t-shirt. You know, uh, maybe Steve might wear something like that because he's a bold kind of guy uh, walking around and he's got total depravity written in yellow on his shirt. (laughs) Ask me what it is. I'll be happy to tell you. It'll only take me like an hour. You know, that kind of thing. 
But honestly, even though most people wouldn't do that, I really think it should be some, somehow with some stark, bright, shining letters on some dark background because it gives glory to God. That's where the glory comes in. There's depravity and deliverance, right? And glory. And even in something that seems so difficult and so yucky, I mean, I mean, how many of you enjoyed listening to uh, what Steve was saying from Genesis chapter 6? The earth was filled with violence. God regretted he made man and he said he's going to use the earth to destroy mankind because violence is filling the earth. And the man's heart was thinking of evil continually. You might go, I think that's what's going on at my house with my little kids. I don't know. Trust me, what was going on then would frighten you. You know, we, we, we oftentimes like to look back in time and idealize it in a way that it wasn't. I admit, I listened to a few moments of the Democratic National Convention, and I'm not going political, just but... I guess, well, I suppose it's hard not to, right? And so they had on an American Indian and she got up and she was like, America is wonderful uh, and, and we love it. And, you know, you guys have been here for a few hundred years, but our people have been here for 4,000. Peacefully living on the banks of the Shoshone whatever uh, river. And I'm like, this woman hasn't read a lot of history. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, peacefully living on the banks of whatever river it was after they killed the last people that were peacefully living on the banks of that, who killed the last people who lived on the banks of that, probably so many times that by the time you get to the end of it, no one could ever possibly keep track of it. Don't fall prey to the silly notion that we came over here and stole our country from some peaceful Wonderful, beautiful people who were just at one with nature, smoking peace pipes and, 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 you know, listening to babbling brooks and, and, and talking to fish, you know, and pull the fish out of the water and say, brother fish. And, 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 you know, as they would kill the deer, they would lovingly stroke its, uh, its fur and talk to it. And thank you for your life. Folks, I'm telling you right now, anyone that's lived for more than 15 minutes or has, has read any history knows better than this, okay? That's not what happened. That's not what's happening now, and it certainly didn't happen then. You know, I was reading William Bradford's account of just, you know, the 1600s in America, and they were explaining how the Indians, they would tie up the people that would come to visit uh, their peaceful land, and then they would cut parts of them off and cook them over the fire and eat them in front of them. That'd be, wouldn't that be nice? Isn't that a friendly welcome? Uh, and so, so people for years have been doing horrible things, right? So we're no different. We're doing horrible things. You know, we blow up people we shouldn't blow up. And our armies sometimes engage in horrible behavior. But it's not like we started it, okay? It's just what's going on for thousands of years. The world is deplorable. Man's condition is deplorable. His heart seeks evil and nothing else. He thinks evil continually. He's like, I want more stuff. And when I get more stuff, it make, reminds me of the stuff I don't have. And I want to have that stuff too. Psalm 53. 
This is what's being taught about. It's being taught about the total depravity of mankind. You see, we'll get to it, but it's the fool that says there is no God. Who's fool? They all are. We all say we all are. We are. Okay. So let's jump right into this. Psalm 51. To the chief musician upon Mahaliah, a masculine, a psalm of David. Now, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I mean, that's not a particularly optimistic passage. But it's true. Now, there are some slight differences between Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And two of these uh, differences are here in the inspired heading. And a third one is in the rest of the verse. So three differences are noted here, but they are slight. The first is that this is called a, a maskil. And I, I honestly don't know how to pronounce it. I believe I told you that before. But just like the proverb we did last week was one of these, it means it is a proverb that teaches a singular lesson. This is a lesson we need to remember. This is not going to change. When, you know, the little baby that was born, little Julia Rose, and, and the little baby that was born last week, these babies are not coming out of the womb pure as the wind-driven snow with only happiness and peace in mind, and they're going to be corrupted by hanging around you. Left to their own, they will do things. In fact, left to their own, sometimes just for an hour, they do things, you know? They get these ideas in their mind, they're like, you know, huh, wouldn't it be neat to throw eggs? Like, wonder what would happen if I threw, if I threw an egg? Wonder what would happen if I threw a rock at that window? Wonder what would happen? And, and this is what happens is, wonder what would happen, huh? You know, huh? That's the way that we are. So this is a particular lesson here, and it is upon Mahali Laf, which is a, uh, it, it is a different, it is a tune, and they're not exactly sure what the tune is. Some say that it just means a guitar, uh, but it really sounds to me like, uh, from what I read about this, that it's more than a guitar. And I, I won't go into this, I won't spend all day in it, but, but this name, how, you know, however you say that M-A-H-A-L-A-T-H was the third wife of Esau. And she was an Ishmaelite. And her name basically means sick and sad and tragic. So I really think that when you hear, when you see that this psalm is about total depravity and that there are none righteous, no, not one, they've all gone away from God, they don't see God. I can imagine what kind of a tune that would go with a song like that. It wouldn't be, they don't love God, and they, and they hate God, and they, it wouldn't be that kind of a song, right? It would be more of a sad thing, because it is a sad thing, that the condition of man is so bad. Verse 1b here, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they. And they have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. The third difference here, and, you know, I have a theory, but you, you really don't know. But it is when they say God in here, God in Psalm 14 is a different word. There are, there's more than one word for God in the Bible. So when they say Yahweh, Yahweh is the revealed name of God. In fact, they wouldn't even say it. And they wouldn't even fully spell it all out. Sometimes people, some people were uh, uh, opposed even to writing it down. 
because it was so sacred. They did not want to what? Take not the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So how do you not take it in vain? Just don't say it at all. Right? That's a little overdoing it. That's not the idea, you know. Uh, but, but that's what they did. So Yahweh was the revealed name of God. And it was very specific to the Jewish people. But there was another word, Elohim, which was a more general term. Uh, in fact, it's even kind of a plural. You could even put it as gods. Okay. Elohim, because it has its roots in uh, a pagan language. And so the concept of a singular God was not known until um, the Jewish people uh, brought to light through the law of God uh, to the rest of the world, the idea of a singular God. So the word Elohim is more general. And, um, and so, you know, these, uh, these two Psalms are said to be doing something here that I have trouble seeing it, but I'm going to have to go with the commentators uh, and, and, and try to figure out why they think this. I wasn't able really to figure this out, but maybe from rabbinical history somewhere, that the first Psalm, Psalm 14, was written as a prophecy about the coming destruction of the temple. And of course we know that destruction came, right? But then there was a second prophecy about the destruction of the temple, but it never came in their lifetime, but we know it did come in AD 70. And so it seems to me that it's possible that what is going on here, we have a song about a prophecy that is about to come to pass, and it does come to pass, and that's sad. You ever, you ever tell somebody, you ever, you ever talk to somebody, and you're old enough, you're not trying to say you're a prophet, but you know what's going to happen if they do something. Like, don't do that, right? If you do that, something bad is going to happen. Well, they know. And so, Israel, we're told, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sins or God is going to judge you. And so what happened? They, did they turn away from their sins? No, they did not. As like in the book of Judges over and over. The people did wrong. God judged the people. God then had to save the people from the judgment that he sent to the people. And then the people did really good. And then the people sinned again, and then God had to judge them again. It is the constant pattern of our lives, not just of their lives, but of ours. We do good, the better we do, the more relaxed we get. That's why God puts things into our lives. The things that come to us keep us out of trouble. I mean, if you're fighting, you know, uh, uh, to, to do something good for the kingdom of God, you're less likely, like David was in Psalm 51, to be sitting at home looking over your balcony for beautiful ladies, right? He's there. He should be away at battle, but he isn't. What's he doing? He's at home. It says it came to pass in the time when kings go out to war, David was taking a nap. I mean, come on, you can't get any more direct than that. And so he, while he was taking a nap, instead of being at the battle, he walks around and he looks over his balcony. He's like, wow, Ooh, isn't she beautiful? This is what happens when we just sit around and we do nothing. If you don't give your children something to do on a regular basis and you're not mindful of their time, they're going to be looking over their balcony too. And if you don't think they are, you're not a very wise man. The Bible says children left to their own will bring their parents shame. It doesn't matter if they're homeschooled. It doesn't matter if they have a mother that doesn't work outside the home. It doesn't matter if they only give birth at home with midwives. They're still going to do bad things. You can teach them to memorize scripture. And guess what they're going to do? If they're left to their own, they're going to go, hmm, what or what would happen if I did that? Or I'd really like some of that. Or I should probably do that. This is what happens. The mind of man works like this. 
You see, the story of the Bible is that Israel had it different than the rest of the world because God wrote down what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And he gave them so much to do that if they were busy doing it, then they wouldn't do the dumb things that we do when we don't have anything to do. But the problem was, and what I think is happening here, in that this second psalm had to be written, is that man is always doing this. And so what happened, another prophecy came forth about another judgment that was coming. And in this time, instead of saying Yahweh God, they, they removed it a little bit because the people had removed their hearts away from God. He said, with your mouth you are close to me, and with your, mouth, with your heart you are what? You're far from me. I believe... This, the second song, Psalm laments the fact that they were warned and that the temple was destroyed. Do you know how demoralizing it was for the children of Israel to have Jerusalem destroyed and the temple destroyed and for them to be carried off into Babylon and all over the world? And you would think after something like this happened when God had said, it's going to happen if you don't repent, that the next time God said, it's going to happen if you don't repent, then men would probably not do it. And what I really believe is there's a sadness in Psalm 53 when it's recognizing the fact that man is always going to keep doing it. The fool here is the unregenerate man. And this is what is being explained here. Okay? You know, it's bad when heathens sin. You know what's worse? When people that have been set free from sin, sin. It's bad when Hittites and Philistines do dumb stuff. But what's worse is when the Israelites, who have God, what, parting Red Seas, putting plagues on the Egyptians, uh, sending lightning bolts out of the Ark of the Covenant, going before them, delivering them from their enemies. It's a whole lot worse when people who know there's a God act like there isn't a God than when people who do. And so you might wonder what's going on. Why is God harder on his people? Why isn't he out there just killing all the Philistines? Because judgment begins at the house of God. We should expect heathens to act like heathens. How many of you want to continue the lesson of the Jews? I don't. The lesson of the Jews is that God teaches us, God gives us, God opens our eyes, He gives us all these benefits, and we still sin, and God still judges us. I don't want to be that guy. It's like I said early on in my life, I don't want to be Jonah. I knew I was called of God. So I know what happens to people who are called of God who don't do what God tells them to do. What does he do? He swallows them with a fish is what he does and they make it anyway. Why not just do it? If God is going to judge us and, and, and bring the fiery judgment upon us if we do bad, why don't we just not do that? So the fool is the dead man. The man slain in his trespasses and sin. He is incapable of thinking anything without God's miraculous touch of life. The core message of both Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. And what leads to both of these very severe judgment of God was their total depravity. It is the lesson of the Old Testament. You can know what to do, but you're incapable. The lesson of the New Testament is with the help of the Holy Spirit... You can. Do you know you can be free from sin? Now, does that mean that you're never, ever going to do anything wrong? No, that doesn't what that means. What that means is, you know, God can change your heart to where you don't, you don't love sin. 
And what happens in your life is what happened to the Apostle Paul. His own sin was wretched to himself. That's why John says people that know God and that have passed from death into life, they cannot live in sin. It is harder to live in sin for the Christian than it is to sin and get away with it. I can tell you that right now. If you belong to God and he's changed your heart, it li- you literally have to sin and deal with all the heavy guilt and the pain and the judgment and fight your way through it. And some of us are so stubborn, we can do that. We're amazing. They had this special relationship with God. He healed them. He delivered them. He gave them the law of the prophets and did incredible wonders among them. And yet they always walked away from him. I don't want to be that person. So as we look at total depravity, oftentimes we need to be reminded of it because we just can't. We just don't want to think about it. On the one side, the side most frequently talked about total depravity is everybody say totally depressing. (laughs) One, on the other side, it shows the depth of our distance that God came across to deliver us. And in doing so, what does it do? We see the greater glory of God. So, so you can't say, it's terrible that I'm so bad. Oh, wretched man. I mean, Paul even said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me? Well, it's Christ. That's who. That's who can deliver us. Now, I said that it was T in Tulip. And if all the other letters were just arbitrarily put there in some order... So it would spell a letter. The T is at the beginning for a reason because it's really the beginning of our understanding. When we understand that we're totally depraved without God, it affects the way we think of people and the way we think of ourselves in a primary way. The doctrine helps us better understand who we are and what we are before God intervened for us and why we definitely need a Savior. You see, before God quickened you, before God quickened me, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were totally saturated by sin, born in sin and shapen in iniquity, as David says in Psalm 51. We were without hope. We were not hearing impaired. We were deaf to the glory of God. We were not looking at God through a dim light of a weak faith. We were without eyes, groping in the darkness that could not be lighted by anything within us or through anything else in this world. We were faithless. We were not sin sick. We were dead in our sins. We were not seeking. We were not looking. None of mankind was worshiping or working toward our own salvation. You know what man does on his own? He builds a tower up to heaven so he can reach up if he could and grab God and throw him down so they could sit on the throne. That is what the heart of man is. We were not because we could not. We could not seek God. That's why we weren't seeking God. We were not merely in a bad way, a difficult situation, struggling under a heavy burden. We were completely crushed to powder and blown away by end. Total depravity, complete hopelessness, faithlessness, and finality. We were not merely four days in the grave like Lazarus and stinking a little bit, but we were dead, buried, and disintegrated, and there's nothing left in us. That's what our condition was. And as dark as it sounds, David wrote and sang a song in the house of God about this. Why? Because it glorified God. Do you know, when, do you remember what John the Baptist said? People came and they're like, you know, Jesus is getting more attention than you. People are listening to Jesus and Jesus is doing miracles. You're in prison 
And you know what he said? He said, you know what? I must decrease that he might increase. That is the picture of our lives. You know, the doctrine of total depravity, you want to decrease. There's some decreasing. What do I have for God? Nothing. What would, I, what would have I done for God? Nothing. Atheism should not be such a big surprise to us when we encounter it. It is the, should be the natural state of man. The fact that people are believing God all around us really should be testimony of the truth of the gospel. Why wouldn't man be an atheist? We should regard it for what it is, the honest opinion of a son of Adam whose sin has killed to the goodness and holiness of God. He is a fool, but what else can he be? He cannot believe in what he cannot see. He cannot sing to a tune that he cannot hear. And he cannot want what he has no desire for. Paul describes it this way. For us, it's a beautiful aroma of life. But for them, it's the stench of death. This missionary was like, he couldn't even sleep. The stench of death was so disgusting. But those people, hey, this is normal. The Bible tells us that the ones that stink like death is us to the people in the world. You may wonder why in the world, they, what are the, why are they so mad at us? Why, what do they not like us for? Because the way that you look at these chin people that I told you about, the five and ten decomposing corpses in their house, and the look on your face of horror and disgust at the imagination of what it might smell like, that is what the people of the world think of you. Why wouldn't they want to come to our church? Why wouldn't they want to sleep in my house? Well, you stink. You're disgusting. The whole idea of God worship, they're like, ugh, that's disgusting. They need, they're going to, this insane fantasy that they lean upon and give an excuse for their behavior. It's gross to them. Of course it is. Only, the only thing that will change that isn't your uh, ability to out-argue them. It's the power of God. Verse 2, God looked down on the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did see God. How many did he find? How many men are there born of Adam who understand and seek God? No, not one. Like their father who was cast in the garden of God's goodness, who was cast out of the garden of God's goodness, who was warned that disobedience to God would bring him death, they have received the congenital disease of sin. Passed down to them in total from both their father and their mother. And it has rendered them sterile to produce any other kind other than themselves. These walking dead whose immortal souls are brought into this world in fleshly bodies, not knowing the nature of heaven's choirs, believe at his deepest core that there is no God. He may be born around those who say they believe in the Almighty and so pretend to see what he cannot see. But he, the fool that he is, still says in his heart of hearts, there, there is no God. You know, my brother, and he, you know, I don't think there's a chance he'll see this, but he, he'll, he'll admit it. He came and he said, you know, I, when I went to church, I went to church, I wanted to be like you. I never believed that stuff. I, I, I knew it wasn't true, but I really just wanted mom and dad to be proud of me. And I wanted... My, you know, I wanted you to like me. I like you so much. I love you. My, my brother loves me, but my brother doesn't see. He doesn't hear. He doesn't have the desire. And you know what? It doesn't make me mad at my brother. I just go, he can't. 
Some of us might be frustrated with unbelievers. What's wrong with them? These idiots, why did they deny it? Because they can't do anything else, folks. But you can. And you can change their lives. Not by trying to go, you know, at our church we have padded pews. And, you know, we've got a really good sound system. And uh, we have good programs for the youth, you know. I mean, which we don't. But, you know... (laughs) But if you attract people there because you have a beautiful facility or because you're nice, I'm telling you, that's not what we're looking for. Do you know we're better at schooling our children than the world? I don't think most of us are even better at that. (laughs) We're better at it in that that's, you know, we're the ones that should be doing it. But, you know, I don't know that any of my children are going to be the next Isaac Newton. They might be. Men even stand of God at work in the midst and they still fall back into unbelief. You see, that's what was going on with the Jews. They would watch God part the Red Sea and, and they would walk through on it. And then they would be like, you know, I don't really think there's a God, you know. And you're like, are these people morons? They're like, well, you know, maybe there was a really strong wind that day. I'm telling you, G.K. Chesterton does a whole thing about this. He's like, these people believe the most insane, stupid stuff on planet Earth. Why? Because they can't come to grips with the fact that there's a God. Because if there's a God, that means, you know, there's ramifications. But they don't believe it. It's silly and unreasonable that it would be even for them to deny God. Well, what happened was, is there was this chaos. And then it came into order. I mean, that's like saying that your house was dirty. And that's how it became clean. It was amazing. In fact, I'm shooting for that. You know, like, like let's try that. Let's see, let's see if we don't clean it, if it ends up becoming clean. I had, you know, our neighbor gave us thousands of these blocks. We have these, you got to place some wooden blocks. You can come over to our house on our back porch. There's like 2,000 of these blocks. I come out there and the Taj Mahal is built. And they're like, it just happened. It was amazing, Dad. They were there for 1,000 years. And eventually, they turned into this. Wind blew upon them and they rolled together and then they stacked themselves. Uh, Now, as dumb as they know this is, guess what, guys? They believe it. They're like, well, you know, G.K. Chesterton says, just because something is unlikely, it isn't if you add a billion years to it, it's more likely. (laughs) Well, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Those blocks didn't turn into Taj Mahal overnight. They were there a billion years. And you're like, wow. So left to their own for a billion years, they will stack themselves? Yes, they will. Well, we know. Why? Well, because there's a Taj Mahal, and we know nobody built it. Okay. As dumb as it is, they believe it. As dumb as it is, they know better than we do. They're scientists. They can look and they can see down to the size of a micron, you know, a micro, an electron microscope. They can see things that are so little and it's organized. Our cells speak a language that they understand. How on earth can you have a language and someone who understands the language at the same time? That's impossible. That could not just accidentally happen because, you know, Chicken broth got spilled on the countertop and not cleaned up. 
But that's what they believe. Verse 3, every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. All gone aside, not some. All together become filthy, not some. How many? All. All. Verse 4, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. Why haven't they called? Because they don't think he's coming. I mean, imagine if, I mean, if, if, if you didn't believe that 911 would call the emergency, would you dial it? You'd be like, well, th- that's not really a phone. There's no one on the other end. I mean, the, the fire department is fiction. It doesn't exist. Why call, right? They don't call on God. Have they no knowledge? Can they not look around and see what in the world is going on? Can they not be impressed by it? They look, but they can't see. That's why Jesus was always saying, he that hath an ear, let him hear. This is not just a pithy saying. It's a true one. He explained this. They don't have ears to hear. They have no eyes to see. That's why they can't see it. Not because they're stupid. Not because they're ignorant. Not because if you explain to them how it's impossible, then somehow they would go, wow, you know, you've convinced me. I mean, I finally looked at the possibility and and protoplasmic proteins really don't frequently come together. You know, I believe in a God. Folks, it's not going to happen. It's a total waste of your time. Now, I'm not totally against apologetics. I'm not, you know, we try to explain, no, they could have really got all of them on the ark. You know, I think that's great for you and me so that we can love God with our heart, soul, and mind. But if you think they're impressed by the three decks of the ark and and the number of species and the food and it could have lasted a year, they don't care. They think it's silly. Verse 4, have the workers of iniquity known odds? They eat up my people as bread. Have they not called upon God? All work iniquity, all are without the knowledge of God. All, they're not merely neutral or ambivalent to God, but their condition, worse than natural death that knows no head, deeper than hopeless and loveless. They are cannibals who do not hate God, but they hate his children and they eat them like bread. It is the lowest of man's conditions. These chin people, as I was telling you, they were cannibals. Some of their uh, festivities uh, would make you just go, what on earth? They save the skulls of these people and they have festivals and they put all of their food inside of the skull and then they, they put it on the table and it's a pretty display. Like, you know how we do the cornucopia at Thanksgiving? Isn't that nice? Look what they do. They came up with this. It's something they like. It's something they want. This is not what the mind of a Christian comes up. It's what the mind of a completely devoid of understanding comes up with without God. Do you know they don't do that anymore? This is, they don't nostalgically look back to the days when they decorated the heads of the people that they killed. They don't, that's not something they do now. Why? Because their hearts have changed. None call upon the Lord to save them. None of them. They cannot because their mouths are full of destruction. Like the Jews who gnashed upon Stephen, the first martyr after Christ. With their, the, remember, what, remember what happened? They literally couldn't take it. You want to enrage people to the point of wanting to kill you? Tell them about Jesus. Stephen preached. At some point they just said, ah! And they put their fingers in their ears and they ran up. And it says they gnashed on him with their teeth. I don't even know exactly what that means, but some people say it means that they were so angry that their teeth began to grind. Have you ever, have you ever been around someone who does that? 
They start picking up rocks and bashing a man in the head to the death who's going, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, could you, could you do that? They did worse than the deaf that cannot hear. They did not want to hear the sin in them and it drove them to murder like the demons did the herd of the swine at Gadara sending them into the sea of Galilee Jesus warned of this when he told the disciples not to think it strange when they certainly faced the fiery trials of men's hatred as he had done this as well not he had not only not found faith within them when he preached but he found hatred they are filled with the spirit of Satan after their father and they want to pull God down from his throne they hate God in his presence to them is a torment. That's what they would cry out. Why have you come to torment us? What would be the natural response of a redeemed man? Like, oh, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. That's how, that's what, that's what we would think. But they're like, what are you here to torment us for? Jesus was there, Jason. They cannot and they will not and should not waste our time convincing them into faith with reason. It won't work. Only hearing the words of God can give them faith. Speak God's words and you will see magic. God's kind of magic. You'll see something happen that will amaze you. You will see someone who wasn't interested become interested. You will see someone with no eyes to see. One day, just start seeing. This will happen in your life. You'll, you'll go, Pastor Mark, something happened. I was talking to them, and now, like now they won't shut up. Now they want to hear it. Now they want to know more. Now, I'm tired. They want to stay up all night. I'll tell you what. I've been around people coming to God, and I'll tell you what. They will wear you out. But it's exciting. Because you know what we get to do, Brother Chris? We get to tell them. All right, let me tell you. And they're like, and every new thing you tell them is like a, a discovery. Oh, what? Tell me the story. You know, and you're like, okay, I'll tell you the story, you know. And, and then you're kind of like, man, this is a great story, you know. And, and that's what happens in us. We get to preach and we get to teach and we get to tell them. And then we get to remember what God has done in our lives. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. <laughs> Verse 5. They were in great fear where there was no fear, for God has scattered the bones of him that encamps against him. You know, God deals with our enemies and those he's not saved. We shouldn't really worry too much about them. He has put them to shame because God has despised them. It's difficult, but the scripture is plain. God hates these people. And he's going to destroy them. That's what the lake of fire is going to do. And it's rough. It's rough to talk about. We don't like to think of it, but it's true. The Bible says it. We can't deny it. Their lives are defined by fear. And they, like those who see clearly their judgment awaits for them from God, strike out like a cornered animal against God and his people in hopes that they can change the destiny of their destruction, but they cannot. Unless God intervenes. And that's what David prays for here in verse 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Remember what Christ said that all of heaven does? It rejoices over the repentance of a sinner. You know, that's the beauty of getting to be 
the vessel of God to go to a place where, you know, Dr. East or Laura Carson or Nang Tong. Nang Tong goes in these villages of generational pirates who kill and steal. And, and it's like the man that I wrote about him in my book. That sweet man. He carried my case and, and he hung around with me. And it was his joy. But before that, he said he loved nothing but alcohol. He loved nothing but his own pleasure. And if he could kill a man, he would kill him. And that sweet man carried my bag and wouldn't let me carry it out of love for me. And I remember walking along that road. And we were kind of thinking we were going to get killed by the elephants or something, you know, if you've read the book. But, um, but here he was. And I just remember reveling in the fact that this man who didn't know God, who was so far from God, who lived in a village on the other side of the world, is my brother who loves me. You know, Pastor Nang came from a village where they tortured animals and they did ungodly things. And I love him like I love you. I trust him like I trust, well, more than I trust a lot of you. (laughs) And it's true. Why? Because we've been in the trenches together and we've worked together and I've seen him suffer and I've seen him go through difficulty and I've heard the cry of his heart to save his people. You see, that's what happens inside of a man who's been saved by God's grace. He says, can I bring this message to others? That's what it should do to us when we realized how far we were away from God and how far he came to bring us. It should make us go, somebody did it for me and I want to do it for somebody else. And you might go, but I was born in the church. I don't really know anything about it. I'm trying to teach you about it today through the doctrine of total depravity. You may not know it, but that's what you were. That's how far you were and how hopeless you were. You don't know it, but it's true. And that's what this doctrine teaches us. What David prayed for came true in this psalm when Jesus Christ was born. He said, oh, that salvation would come from Zion. Oh, that God's people would rejoice at it. It brought unspeakable joy into the world. That's what God does. Here at Foundation Church, we oftentimes find ourselves each Lord's Day talking about this. And I'll... I'll read this as I close from Ephesians chapter two. You might not know it, but this is true of you. You might go, well, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't in a motorcycle gang and I didn't hurt anybody and I didn't use drugs and, and I wasn't that. Oh, you don't need that to be your story. You see, God didn't save us from that. He saved us from what is absolutely true of everyone here. God doesn't look at the guy and go, you know, he's really going to be hard for me to change. No, God reaches out. And I've known some of these people. One of my closest friends was a man named Vern. And, and he was huge. And he had a big old beard like this. And he wore, rode a big motorcycle. And he wore a leather jacket. And he did probably so many ungodly and evil, terrible things. But he came to Christ in my living room as a boy. And I watched him bring his wife and his children. And I saw him become a gentle man of faith. I'll never forget the day he said, you want to ride my bike with me? 
And my dad, seeing that Christ had changed him, said, go ahead. I remember sitting on the back of his 1100, and I couldn't even get my arms around him because he was so big. And he goes, whoa, and he popped a wheelie, and I'm like, I'm going to heaven right now. <laughs> he popped a wheelie and shifted gears and, and wheelie, and I'm like, I'm like, ah! That man became a beautiful Christian man, and he went back to his gang, and, and, and he brought Chad and his wife and their little children. And, and, and that's what was happening at my house. Oh, would to God it was happening at all of our houses. Watching what God can do. Verse Ephesians 2, 1. And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What were we? Everybody say we were dead. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. I like to tell my children when they look at someone that's in sin that they, they go, ooh. And I go, do you know that's you? If God hadn't brought you to my house. That's you, Rebecca. That's you, Anna. That's you, Elizabeth. That girl that looks so nasty and so far from God and so hatred. That's you. If God didn't love you and come across eternity and his son didn't come and you weren't born in my house and you didn't have a dad to love you and teach you the word of God, that's you. Love that little girl enough to go to not worry what she thinks about you. To not worry about, oh, she isn't going to listen to me and she's this and she's that. You know what? There might just be a chance that God would allow you to speak words of life to her. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our lifestyle in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. What were we by nature? Children of wrath. Oh, people of God, yes, we were children of wrath, but we... No, not our mom. No, not our dad. Not anything that we know. We were dead. We were children of wrath without hope. We walked in darkness, but, verse 4, but God. It's my, that people have a favorite verse. This might be my favorite two words of the Bible. But God. But God. But God, who's rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ for by grace are you saved. You see, grace doesn't mean anything if you bought it yourself. Grace is the unmerited gift of God you could never earn on your own. Total depravity makes grace the most valuable commodity in the world. Even when we were dead, he raised us up together. He made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. It's his grace, his kindness. That's what brings this doctrine out of the dark into the marvelous light of shining joy. It was God's grace and kindness through Jesus that we did, 
that what he did for us, we would not have done, that what he did for us, we could not do. He did it for his own glory and did it in such a way that he would receive all of the glory for it. And that's the way it should be. Because nobody else deserves the glory but God. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I actually have quite a bit more, but I'll end. Andy read it for us from Romans chapter 3. Well, then where is the boasting? And he says, it's excluded. (laughs) What can we brag about? Well, there's nothing we can brag about that we've done. But we can certainly brag about him. You know, that's what the good news is. Not, I have this really neat church you should go to. I know stuff you don't know. No, it's like, you know what? God did something really, really good for me. I don't know at all. All I know is that once I was blind and now. I can see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the power of your word and the truth of it has caused us today to glory in your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your love for us and to see the beautiful light of it. And I pray that it inspires us to tell others about it so we might see them too glorify your name and lift you up. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.